John Fox, and welcome to Startups, a podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs and learn how they turn great ideas into successful, profitable companies. In this episode, we talk to a technology startup founder with an entrepreneurial vision for carbon-neutral silicon production. My guest today is J.P. Mai, founder and CEO of J.P.M. Silicon. We talk through his journey from an initial patent in 2007 to the founding of his company and taking it through various pivots and business models as the energy market has evolved in the past decade. I think you'll really find this an inspiring story of persistence and agility. Let me know what you think of this episode. You can tweet me at John H. Fox, leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or email me at john.fox at siemens.com. Tell us a little bit about your company. Well, thanks for having me, John. To be pretty straightforward in order to what we are or what we want to become is we would like to become a producer of carbon neutral silicon, which is then the feedstock for solar cells and also other products within our everyday life. So a lot of this is about silicon, as you said. Talk a little bit about why that's such an important material. Well, if you would look around, you will see a lot of objects where you have silicon inside, but you would not guess that it's inside. You can find it in aluminum products, in car frames, in tires, in ceilings, in silicones, in computer chips, and of course, in solar cells. So it's quite important for our everyday life. And it's really important in order to produce solar cells and solar energy. And thus, it's important to have renewable energies. And so silicon is one of the future commodities we, we need in our everyday lives. And I think we should talk a little bit about, you know, carbon neutral. What does it mean? Every product really has a carbon footprint. Why is it particularly important? Why is that something of concern these days? If you look at the current climate change and renewable energies, you will see that uh, solar energy, for example, plays a quite important role in all the scenarios. And Solar cells, when they are made of silicon, silicon itself is made from quartz and carbon. So silicon is connected to carbon emissions and thus are solar cells. So in reality, solar energy, clean energy is not that green as it should be. And so carbon emissions, especially from silicon for solar, are quite big issue today. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. You've got solar panels helping but the production of them and the raw materials, that process in and of itself has a carbon footprint is what you're talking about. Absolutely correct. Like you have to use carbon, coal, coke in order to make silicon, to in order to make solar cells. So, yeah, that's a little controversial if you think of clean renewable energy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very tough to get this right. Even, you know, electrical power and battery power you know, you think of that as very clean, but, you know, where does the electricity come from? Where is it produced, right? There's just, you have to look at the big equation. Absolutely. And this is why you find, for example, most of this energy intensive industries like silicon and aluminum industries in countries where you have cheap and clean renewable electricity like water power. And then you end up in countries like Scandinavia and also Canada, where you have a lot of clean renewable water power and electricity. And so your concept, your IP is about reducing that carbon footprint. So talk about, you know, how that works. What are the various elements and what are you improving? Okay. There we look at two different 
products and two different technologies. So currently we are focusing on silicon production by recycling silicon waste from, for example, solar cell production. That is, you take um, a lot of silicon waste and transfer it back into uh, silicon, which you can then use as a new raw material. And this alone, for example, then cuts down the carbon emissions by 80%. So this is one important part, like recycling and the reuse of, of raw materials. So this is our core business at the moment. But in the long run, we want to be really renewable. And that means we want to use renewable raw materials in order to replace the carbon, the coal, coke, as I said before, which you would use for silicon production by renewable raw materials. And just to give you an idea what that is, you can, for example, use rice hull, ash, or you can use sugar in order to make the raw materials you would need to make silicon. So that would be then uh, completely renewable and completely carbon neutral in the long-term run. That is our, let's say, ultimate goal in the end. Got it. Now, we've talked to several startups on this podcast so far, and many of them are pretty straightforward products. A mountain biking startup, a company that makes kite surfing equipment, This is a lot more technical and conceptual in many ways. And I know you've gone through various incarnations and and pivots, which is a great, you know, you have a really great and interesting story. I thought it'd be good to kind of walk through your journey as a startup when this was just an idea. And I think you were founded back in, um, I want to say, 2007. Yeah. 2007 was actually the first patent. We were founded as a company in 2010. So directly at the end of my engineering studies, I founded the the first company. Yeah, that's correct. So let's start with that first patent, maybe, and then take us up to the initially, at least the point, you know, where you're incorporated. So then we have to go back a little further because then we end up in 2001 uh, okay. when I was still a high school student. I think that was like I was 14 years old or something like that. And I came in touch with solar cells and I got a solar cell in my hand and was like fascinated with the fact, okay, with this small plate, you're going to produce electricity without anything attached. So that was really like fascinating me. And this sparked the first idea to say, okay, what is inside? What is a solar cell? What is silicon? So this was really the starting point for me to look really deeper into that. And that was like the red thread going through my high school time, through my engineering studies. And uh, during my studies, then this pattern came up in 2007, focusing. So this is not a typical high school story, or maybe (laughs) just providing insight into this was in, you went to high school in Germany? Yes, correct. Is this is this what goes on normally in high school in <laughs> Germany, or were you an exceptional exceptional student? I would not say that this is quite normal. Uh, it was very strange, and to be real here, and to be honest, but I had a very engaging teacher who was like just giving you the freedom to explore stuff. I was not the only student working uh, in this like chemical physics field. There were other projects going on as well, but she was very supportive in terms of, okay, if you have an idea, I'm going to support you, whatever you want to like to do. And for example, just to give you an idea on how like in reflection, how, how strange that was, I actually, I flew to the US in 2000 and I think 2003 and met with 
was a company uh, called GT Solar, and um, they provided me a very, very small induction furnace, so a really high-temperature furnace, which we set up in school in a classroom somewhere. So that was not normal, but that was really the idea and the freedom I had, yeah. Right, right. And then you were saying that this kind of carried over into your university studies? Absolutely correct. So when when I got to the point where I had to decide, okay, what do you want to do next? I ended up with process engineering, mechanical engineering, in order to look deeper into what's behind the technology, what can I do? And like this was the red thread through all my engineering studies. I wrote different project works on that and finally came up with an idea that was to make silicon using microwave heating. And that was the first patent in 2007. Got it. And were you working in conjunction with industry at that time or was it purely, you know, academic and in the lab? I worked with a smaller company in the area, which actually they built microwave furnaces so I could use some of their equipment. And I got in touch with solar companies because during that time, the solar industry was still evolving. It was kind of booming in the later years. So we had pretty big companies in Germany, especially focusing on solar cell production. And I got, of course, in contact with them because they were at that point, multi-billion dollar companies. And of course, there was an interest and I started working with them. And interestingly, they offered me a good job in the beginning. And then the point was, okay, if they're going to pay for that, if they're going to offer me a job, there must be something behind what I'm doing behind the technology. So why don't go on and, and try it on my own? Okay. So are you saying, did you join them or no, you, you went on your own? No, exactly. I went on my own and the decision was, okay, I start my own company. I was directly at the end of my studies in 2010 and I said, okay, let's go for it. I have, have nothing to lose at that point. So just try it out and see how far we can get. And how important was that patent from 2007? Was that really the intellectual property or was it more than that? Yes and no. It was like, I mean, if you have a pattern, it's just, let's say, a piece of paper giving you some right to use the technology or whatever. But in order to make it real, you need much more knowledge behind, much more know-how behind. So the pattern is definitely one part in order to get things started, in order to get financing and funding. But it's just a, a small portion of what is really needed to to set up a technology and set up a company. So what was your first business model and your first customer? And as a, as we said, you're going through various iterations of this. Initially, when you founded the company, what was the business? The idea was just to develop the technology until, a, let's call it, industrial stage or semi-industrial stage and say, okay, we have something nice for you as a solar cell producer. You can produce your own silicon in a more efficient way. So you can save costs on that, license our technology, build your own furnaces, produce the silicon. So we got in touch with all the big solar companies. And in 2010, that was like the peak of the solar boom here in Germany. So in 2011 and 12, the, the industry more or less started to collapse. And so did our customers or our initial market approach and licensing the technology because all our customers suddenly were more or less gone. So we had to figure out a new way of how to use the technology and then we shifted to equipment manufacturing. Okay, got it. So talk about that transition. The idea was, okay, if 
we want to convince somebody to really use our technology, they have to make an investment to maybe build a furnace or whatever. So it would be much easier if we started building the first furnaces on our own and then maybe like rent it to them or in the end, of course, sell it to them. But the initial investments, the initial prototypes and pilots and stuff like that, that is something we have to build. And so we start looking much more deeper into the uh, equipment manufacturing and also built the first prototype, which we then sold to a silicon, major silicon producer during that time. That was in 2014, 15, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Was that your biggest customer to that date? Actually, it was the biggest customer. It was it also was one of the biggest global companies in that field. So that was really like a major step for us, of course. Now, how did you handle bringing on employees, buying equipment? Cash flow is really important in the early stages. How did you manage that from more of a business side? We've been talking very tech, you know, technical and up to this point, but from a business standpoint, how did you manage it? You need to have a team. Maybe like in the beginning, I started as a one-man show, I would call it. But when you grow into a company, into a startup, you need much more. You need a team to rely on. You need somebody who t is taking care of financials and stuff like that. So we composed a kind of executive team in order to keep track on all the different aspects of the business and then also work a lot with uh, different consultants and mentors in order to just get feedback. So understand, okay, what, what kind of mistakes can I make? What is the maybe second opinion on an issue? So just get feedback, get a lot of insights and then take a decision and also take the decision uh, with, with your team. That was quite important. And Again, in this, these very early stages, what other challenges did you encounter? You know, whether that's machinery, tooling, funding. As you said in the beginning, like for a startup, it's all about cash. Like running out of cash is one of the top reasons why startups fail. So managing cash, managing funding is, of course, then quite important to just keep your company alive. On the other side, like when you have a quite young company, a young team, you have kind of an unexperienced team, you have to put a lot of effort into managing this team. So, for example, in the beginning from, I would say we grew from three people up to nearly 30 people within two years. So you had to do a kind of completely different managing style and figure out, okay, what is important for the team? How can I lead the team? How do I get everything on the right track? How can I be still technically involved? So you had to build up structures in order to just manage this growing company and team. Wow, three people to 30 people. So who do you hire first? How did you, you have to basically build an organization at the same time you're building out the technology? Talk about who you hired first, who you hired next, how you built that organization. In the beginning, it was like you just go out with this idea and you talk to people and there are some people who say, okay, that's really interesting. I'm interested in joining you. What can I do? Maybe I can bring this to your, your company or whatever. So the first team was more or less driven, let's say, by enthusiasts willing to dive deep into this topic to bring it forward. And for us, then it was like getting employees was much focusing on students doing 
their intern at the company, the writing ceases, and then joining the team. So that was a very typical way for us to get a talent to the company. Yep. But that, of course, then had the the drawback that they were quite inexperienced. So you had to, that was a little bit of a trade-off we had to make and say, okay, we have highly motivated young people, but sometimes lack, of course, experience. Right. And then at what point do you bring in other functions these are, you know, engineering PhD students, I would imagine, for the most part? Mostly, yes, correct. So when do you bring in other functions, other experience levels, like, I don't know, maybe sales, accounting, you know, things like that? So actually quite early, the second hire in the company or my second team member, he was just focusing on the finance side. So directly at that stage, we had a clear role model to say, okay, I'm the technical guy and also the sales guy because we are in a B2B market. So you have to do a different kind of marketing and the, the investments are quite large. So it's more or less like founder-driven marketing, I would call it. And so directly in the beginning, I set up somebody just in case for doing all the finance and stuff because that is quite important here in the beginning. Got it. And how many employees do you have now? What level are you at now? Right now we are just around 10 people. What I would say is quite an, an actual good and nice team to manage because this is still on a level where you can take most of the stuff like uh, really directly and not building a second layer or a structure behind. But on the other side, if then projects go bigger, so behind this team, let's say bigger projects with other team members and different project teams. But my core team is just 10 people working in different projects then. And that's a pretty good structure for us right now. And we were following your journey here. You went, you pivoted to providing the equipment. Is that the current business model or did you pivot once again? No, we pivoted once again, I have to say. Okay. So um, okay. we did the last pivot in order to say, okay, what is the real benefit? Like, where's our IP? How can we better than our competitor? What do you have to protect? And it's really like the process, the product itself, how to make silicon. So we decided, okay, we can build our own equipment. We can hire partners to do so, but we have to operate the equipment. So the business model today is quite simple. We produce silicon in the end, and that is the final goal. Got it. Understood. All right. So you're also a Siemens customer, a solid edge customer. How have you worked with Siemens as a partner or a vendor over the years? So I started like using Solid Edge at the university and that was my first touch point. I did the first drawing of the prototypes using Solid Edge. And then on the engineering side, all the control technique behind came much more important. So Siemens is there in that case, one of the leading process automation companies using the Zematic series. And this gives us, for example, a very reliable partner in the end and also trust because like if something fails and we are working now mainly in China, we have to rely on spare parts and that's quite easy then to say, okay, we have to replace something and it's Siemens equipment. So this is really a big benefit for us. Now, it sounds like you've done a fair amount of bootstrapping with early customers early on. Did you feel the need to take in outside investors? And how do you feel about that in terms of financing your company? 
Well, in the beginning, that was a road. We were like a typical startup, hardware startup, technology startup. So you need money to build your prototypes, to be a pilot, to do marketing. So we, we took in some investors in the beginning. They invested, I think in the end, a little bit over 2 million euros over, yeah, let's say more or less a decade. So it's not that much venture capital compared to the time frame or time scale I'm talking about. But of course, with this company growing to 30 people and stuff like that, the burn rate was still increasing. So you had to do for the next step, you had to take in more money. The shareholder structure, they got pretty complex and that costs a lot of time in the end. So this bootstrapping approach Today, we can do it because we have kind of a customer base. We have a kind of project base, but that wouldn't be possible in the beginning. So that is now a major advantage in order to build something slowly without taking in investors on the core part. Got it. Got it. And so now as a silicon producer, talk about your operations today. I think you're operating in China. Correct. So we decided at one point to say, okay, we have a pretty strong R&D network here in Germany. We built a lot of connections and partnerships with companies and also research institutes here in Germany. So R&D is mainly focused here in, in Braunschweig, Germany, where I am staying most of the time. But the pilot and all the, let's say, testing of equipment and stuff like that, that is all done in China because it's much faster, it's much cheaper, and China, in that case, is our biggest market. And so the place for us to be is, uh, of course, China and Asia. Yeah. 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 And what's your differentiator as a silicon maker in the market? Like you're marketing this as carbon neutral product. Is that a big part of your marketing? That depends a lot on the customer segment you're looking at because, to be honest, in most cases for companies, it's about saving money, bringing down costs. So you have to buy, for example, cheaper products, commodities and stuff like that. So, of course, the price is a big sales argument to say, okay, our method uses less energy and so we have lower production costs and so we can give our customers a cost advantage. Of course, that is a very important point, but more and more important is reducing the carbon emissions from a commodity, which is then, for example, used in solar cells or also cars. So there is a customer segment, a growing customer segment, focusing on the carbon footprint of a product. It has to be, of course, reasonably priced, but they are focusing on the carbon footprint and taking a decision to buy the lowest footprint as possible. And what type of companies and what segments are interested in that? You don't have to mention any specific names if you can't, but where are you seeing that interest? An interesting industry is, for example, the car industry, like manufacturers of electric vehicles, because if you want to calculate the carbon emissions for an electric vehicle, you have to take into consideration the production and just the raw materials inside the car. And as I said, silicon is used not only in the car frames, but also in upcoming batteries. So silicon is a part of an electric car, and then they take it in consideration to say, okay, if we want to lower the carbon emissions over the life cycle, we have to lower the carbon emissions of the silicon inside. So car manufacturers is one example where they look at the, the stuff. Great. Well, what's next and what challenges do you anticipate, you know, over the next five years? And that could be in the, in the you know, the R&D area or any other aspect of the business. So at the moment, I would say the R&D stuff is going 
pretty smooth. We learned a lot of stuff during the last decade, uh, so to put it. So there are, of course, coming some major challenges in terms of setting up a bigger production plant in China. Like funding is, of course, a big issue then for this kind of production line and also managing this international team, especially now if we look at the pandemic situation and travel restrictions enforced. So um, I would say funding and managing the setup of the, the big the recycling plant, that's something what is really challenging within the next, I would say, two to three years. Right. And you mentioned pandemic. How is it affecting you today? How has it impacted your business? What are you doing differently? So before the pandemic, I was like traveling to China or in Asia and Hong Kong, like every six weeks and stayed there for one to two weeks. So quite often I traveled there and that suddenly stopped completely. So the last visit there was in January this year. Nevertheless, since we always work quite with remote teams, the communication was not that big issue. However, you lose a lot of time, especially if you think of negotiating bigger contracts. But in the long-term run, we managed it quite well so far. The remote work, we just pushed forward to say, okay, uh, let's increase that. That's no big deal. But to be honest, I'm really missing the direct interactions with our colleagues and team in China. Yeah, I bet. So one of the things we focus on in this podcast series is hardware startups, not software. You hear a lot about software companies. So Let's start with this. So I think it would be very interesting to our listeners is talk about the investments you made over the years in terms of, you know, hardware and actually software as well. We mentioned Solid Edge, but I'm sure you're Mm -hmm. you're using a lot of different types of software. So let's start with like software. Where have you invested? How have you leveraged uh, digital technologies in your journey? Well, as I said, like the R&D is today focusing on, on Germany and we are doing a lot of the engineering work here. So we have to do this all on a digital scale, like doing all the drawings and simulations and modeling and stuff like that. So we like really have experts in our company just focusing on simulation technologies because this is quite important in order to just test something out and then we transfer it for example to the pilot plan build a small prototype and test it then in real life but using all this digital stuff you have the possibilities you have that's pretty amazing and that increased a lot and i mean you can in theory, you can just run your company and all the stuff just building a digital prototype and in a later stage and just building the real things. So this is really important in the beginning. So what types of different types of digital software are you using? There are, for example, different physical modeling tools when it comes to electrical fields. Like I said, we use microwave heating. So there are different companies looking into very in-depth simulation tools and modeling tools. And they all rely, of course, on uh, CAD models. So you need this, this drawings we get from Solid Edge to import them, for example, into different simulation frameworks. So that is really like the core is the drawing. And then you can just add different physics and see, okay, I want to look into the microwave field. I want to look into heat transfer. I want to look into gas distribution and stuff like that. So then you need different software packages and and specific tools in order to do so. Got it. How about on the enterprise side of the business, enterprise software, business software, CRM, anything interesting going on there? The nice thing is that 
through this pandemic, so many companies came out with, with really cool solutions, which were already on the market much before, but now they're getting like really in the focus. And there are a lot of really great tools in order to, for example, organize your communication. If it, if you look into Zoom and Teams and stuff like that, and it's, it's really like you can, just get a license for your team and then it grows. You get a new license. Somebody left, leaves. So you decrease by one license. So that's, it's really interesting to make your, like to protect your cash flow in the end. As for a startup, that's important. So yeah. the big investments in the beginning, for example, we had to buy one license for a few thousand euros. Right now you can just get a small license for one, one person for one year or a month. So that really brings down your budget a lot. Right, right. So you mentioned Zoom, Microsoft Teams, I think you said. Yeah, correct. Any, anything else worth noting? I would say the, the biggest for me, for me personally, the biggest helper is Microsoft To Do. Just a very simple to-do list. I like lists a lot. <laughs> I like to work with, with different types of lists and, and categories and stuff like that. So just that I lose, that I do not lose any idea or any task I have to do. I just put it into this kind of electronic to-do list and then have it on on all my devices. I also, very simple forward, like software like Word, it's very, very efficient just to keep kind of journal. Like you have also OneNote or Evernote and stuff like that, What what is quite complex, but just... For example, I just do one Word document per year, which is kind of journal, and I just write down every note I have. Then I can like scroll through it, I'll do the use the search function to figure out a specific topic in this few hundred pages document. So this is my effective digital tool. It's Word. <laughs> nice, nice. Now let's switch to hardware. I imagine all sorts of specialized hardware in your business, but what hardware investments have you made? whether that's computers or tooling or things like that? It's mainly like control technologies, like PLC stuff from also from Siemens, uh, just yes. to program the different prototypes to measure different, let's say, different physical measures we have, like temperature and pressure and stuff like that. So we invested a lot into this control technique and measuring devices. I would say that this is a core part of the investment. And was that a burden? Do you do that through financing or you just manage that via, you know, your bootstrapping? It depends a little bit on the project we are talking about because we have like also public funded projects where we get project support from the government in order to build yeah. prototype and stuff like that. So right. this is, of course, one of the sources if you want to invest into um, very expensive stuff and, and things like that. But the most things you can really do, like really lean and just focus on, okay, say, what do you really want and where can I get it for a good price value ratio? And then you can do a lot of the stuff like just by bootstrapping. What advice do you have for other entrepreneurs out there, particularly, as we mentioned, the ones that are focusing on the hardware end of things? If you, for example, if you decide to go on venture capital, which is, of course, what we also do, for example, to set up the production plant in China, we, we have to invest a lot of money. So we're looking for investors in order to do so over there. So if you decide to go into this direction to get venture funding, you have to go fully into it and you have to really ask even for more in the beginning because that in the long term it pays out that you do not run out of cash so fast and so really ask for a good amount of money in the beginning not make it too small and then you will get rejected a lot of times and i would say my real advice for entrepreneurs is 
to just be persistent and be patient and try again and again and again, because until in the end, I think it will finally pay off. Yeah. And clearly you've been very successful having, you know, persisted all these number of years through various strategic pivots. Maybe talk about a failure, like a failure that you learned a lot from that might be interesting. I would say the biggest failure was really when the first company ran out of money, like going to bankruptcy. Um, that is really like you're losing a kind of long-term relationship. That's really like you have a broken heart in that stage. Yeah, right. And it really, it really, really hurts. And it takes some time until you get back on track and say, okay, I will not give up. I will try again because I learned so much and it's worth it. But it's always interesting to reflect on what you have done, what you have achieved and listen to feedback because I really think that if you have a good idea, if you listen to feedback, if you're on the right path, that hard work will pay off in the end with a little luck, of course, at the side. But I think that if you have a good idea, what is really worth pursuing, then you finally also will succeed on that. All right. Well said. Thank you, JP. For the folks out there, if they want to learn more about your company, where can they find you and your company on the web? So you can just go to jpmsilicon.com or, of course, use LinkedIn on Facebook. And I think we're also on Instagram. So you can find us on, on most of the channels. And I'm pretty happy to answer some questions. Just send me a mail or send me LinkedIn request. I'm pretty looking forward to help you there. All right. Terrific. Thanks, JP. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. We're excited to bring you this story and more as part of our ongoing startups podcast series. Getting a startup off the ground is no easy endeavor. Office space, supplies, employee salaries, and overhead are all vying for a piece of a lean budget. We believe your software tool should be a solution, not a problem. If you're an early stage startup in business for less than three years, you can now apply to get Solid Edge product development software for free with no application fee. Apply today at www.siemens.com slash startups. <laughs> <laughs>